Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're having a nice weekend. We'll be talking about Kentucky in the national political spotlight this morning. Then later, where does Lexington's garbage go? How Sam Dick looked into that this week and what he found may surprise you. Let's get right to our election discussion, though. We're already in the middle of a heated race for governor here in the Commonwealth that many uh, were expecting to watch as a possible harbinger of the presidential race next year. And then this week, next year, came crashing through the gate with the announcement that Democrat Amy McGrath is hoping to take out U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Since then, McGrath has had some strong fundraising. President Trump has weighed in tweets in favor of McConnell. And we'll talk about that and more. Joining us this morning, two Kentucky political strategists who are also geared up for the races ahead. Republican Trey Watson, a former spokesman for the Kentucky Republican Party. He now runs his own full-service PR firm. Capital Reigns. And Democrat Christian Motley has worked in several campaigns since he came to Kentucky seeking opportunity at Berea College. He's now a leader in the Strive Together initiative to help young people succeed. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Great to, to be, be back. Here. I'm interested in uh, first getting your, your takes on just how much Kentucky is going to be in the national spotlight this year and next year uh, as these elections roll out. I, I think it's the case, uh, just like in 2015, um, that the presidential race is going to creep in. I think it's the nature of um, having a governor's race, a statewide election, uh, directly before the presidential race. It's an opportunity, uh, frankly, for, uh, I think some folks will probably say they see Kentucky as almost a bellwether. They, um, I've heard folks say that, you know, if Andy Bashir um, wins this governor's race, uh, it puts uh, Mitch McConnell on his heels for the presidential, uh, excuse me, for the Senate race. And so you see those implications of the following year. I, I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of function of what else is going on this year. You have three states that have statewide elections this year, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Those two, I think, are pretty much foregone conclusions. Uh, and then you have the Virginia legislative elections where Democrats are trying to take the state Senate. Uh, so I think, you know, the two ball games in town, if you want to amplify your message, show you're a good party warrior, if you're one of these 85 Democrats running for, for president, is you're going to be in Virginia or Kentucky at some point. So I think 2020 is going to have an impact. And then, of course, Senator McConnell, if you watch the first Democrat president, presidential debate, he came up quite a bit. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, conversation about the senator uh, kind of in the context of 2020 as well. Plus, you're hearing President Trump potentially coming in three, four times. Uh, so you know, I, you're you going to have a lot of 2020 impact coming out of Kentucky. I Is think. it a chance to also to maybe try out some themes, uh, you know, before a, a somewhat of a bellwether state here and, and in Virginia? I think know? it could be a theme for a way for Democrat presidential hopefuls to try out messaging for red and purple states. I think that might be the only case because it's, it's just a very unique set of circumstances here. This is a very, it's become a very red state. Uh, Governor Bevin has, through kind of his personal uh, uh, picadillos, his way of, of conducting business is about the only reason that he's in any uh, electoral danger. I, I still don't think there's much of a chance that he loses, but I think, you know, Democrats nationally look at him just from the outside, look at President Trump and say they're very similar. Uh, you know, what sort of messaging can I use against a candidate like this in a red state? So I think you'll see some of that. Well, in, the, in Kentucky, it, I tell folks, they laugh at me when I say Kentucky is the center of the universe. Uh, you got the, the majority leader here uh, in Kentucky, and there's a lot that will be determined in Washington 
about what happens here uh, in this state. So expect a lot of energy here. And another high-profile senator in that, Rand Paul, who made the presidential race. Uh, uh, and, don't, and don't forget Hal Rogers, right. who still makes the wheels turn on appropriations, veterans, a whole bunch of committees up there. And uh, so there you go. And uh, <laughs> let's talk about the fact that, as I said earlier, uh, here came campaign 2020 crashing in uh, to the middle of 2019. That's probably the right term for it, Dave McGrath's case, crashing. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see where we go with this. Uh, the, the Senate race is uh, sort of rolling now. Democrat Amy McGrath uh, did announce that she hopes to take out Majority Leader uh, McConnell. She had uh, a record day of fundraising and then had to backtrack and uh, essentially apologize for saying that she would have voted to confirm uh, Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Uh, has her rollout uh, had its ups and downs, been successful, or how would you uh, characterize it? Well, I'd say uh, Amy McGrath did a special thing a few days ago, and I think it was that she reminded voters that there are some things that Democrats and Republicans agree on. Uh, she went a step further and said that there are things that even President Trump and Democrats agree on. and. You know, I think that's, a, that's an important thing. I think it was a little bit of a shock to the system. Uh, so many times uh, there are uh, voters disqualify themselves for, for voting for somebody simply because they have a D or an R in front of their name. I think in this race, uh, they're going to have a little bit of a choice. Now, uh, I can't defend uh, uh, a vote for uh, Kavanaugh. I think it was, uh, it was good that Amy really took a sense of uh, the facts and the data um, and made the adjustment. I think we got too many leaders who... Uh, who, who, who can't do that. Um, Is it a balancing act for her, though, to try to, uh, uh, you, you know, sh to not offend the Trump electorate at the same time uh, to get enough votes to win on her side? Well, Amy has proved that she knows how to do this in the 6th District. Uh, she had a message that resonated both in the urban centers, uh, but also uh, in rural Kentucky. But she lost all the rural counties. Well, I think, it's, I think it ended up being about margins, and no, she didn't make the margin to win. Uh, but she did uh, do about as good in that race as uh, uh, any Democrat has done in the last uh, three cycles, yeah, uh, she, losing by she'd uh, won, three points. She'd won that race because she turned out record, record votes in Fayette County. Um, you go statewide, she can still turn out record votes in Fayette and Jefferson County, but if the type of numbers are going to turn out for President Trump and for Senator McConnell and for the Republican members of Congress in the rural counties show up, she didn't stand a chance. She, uh, the, she, the numbers just aren't there for her. She competed in that race uh, because she had a message that resonated in urban centers, um, That because she uh, had a message that uh, resonated in the rural counties, but she also built a movement. Uh, there are uh, grassroots organizers that were uh, throughout um, the district uh, through the entire cycle um, doing the work to knock doors, to connect with voters, and to have conversations with everyday people. Um, that's the work that you have to do. You can't win this thing on, on TV. you got to go out and talk she to had people. A great, that's what she, did. she had a great ground game in Fayette County. I'll give it to her. I'd never heard of anybody. I mean, she had people going back to Dorsoft and they knew people's dogs' names. They were bringing them dog treats. But what I, from what I heard, uh, in the rural counties is she had a lot of offices that she was paying to have open that would either weren't open a lot of days or had one person sitting in it working the phones. You know, uh, she's going to, and I think what happened to her uh, on the day she launched and, and the 48 hours afterwards, I think she's A, guaranteed herself a primary, and B, given voters who might, wa might have wanted to give, been given a reason to vote against Mitch McConnell, 
I think she's taken it away that, that she's she's flipped and flopped around and, and I think proved that she doesn't really know what she's doing right now. Let me ask uh, Christian, do you think the Democratic field is set or will there be a primary? We hear the possible uh, names of Rocky Adkins, Matt Jones and others uh, who are said to still be considering. I think it may or it may not. I think uh, uh, what Amy has to do is make sure that she's making a case to Kentucky voters. Uh, her race is not about Donald Trump. Her race is about uh, Mitch McConnell, and if she wants to be successful, she better focus on him. It's got to be a race that's about Kentucky, Kentucky issues, the vision <laughs> for Kentucky communities, and and again, she's making a case for leadership change. Well, I, 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 it's funny you say that. I saw a 20-second pre-roll ad on on a website uh, the day after she launched. 20 seconds. She never once mentioned Kentucky. The word Kentucky never came up on a crime on the screen. At the end of it, the 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 logo she had. Never said, literally 20 seconds, never said Kentucky anywhere. You wouldn't know what state she was running for senator, uh, senator of unless you knew that Mitch McConnell was a senator from Kentucky. So she's not making this about Kentucky. This is, this is, she's making a national play, and that's because she needs the national money to come in. But that's the wrong play in this race because Senator McConnell's going to have all the money he needs. Uh, and so you know, money becomes kind of a, a just just a number in in a general election in a primary it's important she needs that money to ward off challengers no i think i think fundraising is going to be important if you uh, think about it uh, 20 2020 is not going to be 2018 it's not going to be 2016 it's not going to be 2014 the last time that senator mcconnell had a had a uh, race uh, in 2008 um that's the last time i saw uh, mitch mcconnell uh really um have to fight um that was a race that had a uh, national democrat that was popular who competed um, uh, and um, you had high Democratic turnout, uh, again, for the presidential race, and you had a candidate, a Senate candidate, who had the resources to wage the battle uh, with Senator McConnell Bruce across the state, which is really, really important. I, said so. I think Alice Donovan Grimes had all the money that was necessary. In this state, you, you, and I think Amy McGrath saw it, you run out of ways to spend money in Kentucky at some points because there's, there's, a, there's a limit of how much media stuff you can buy. I think there's a, there's, what we're looking at in this race, again, you have to have a national candidate in the presidential race, which changes the dynamic. It's not 2014. You have a national candidate that's competitive that doesn't lose by 30, right? We lose by more like 15 or 16, uh, which uh, we know that Trump is going to do well here. You have the resources to wage the battle, and then you know um, that you have a message, again, that resonates in both the urban centers one, and the rural. One, one, one last thing, the, the national implications of this race. I'm excited. I know Senator McConnell's people are excited because I don't think Amy McGrath has a shot to win. A lot of Democrats I talk to don't think Amy McGrath has a shot to win. But national Democrats are excited about her, which means money's coming here that's not going to go to states like defending Doug Jones in Alabama, defending Colorado, other states that are going to be very competitive where Democrats either need to either need to pick up or defend. Amy McGrath could mean the difference in the majority of the United States Senate, and not in a good way for the Democrats. Trey, Trey is right. I do think those, those implications are true because you're going to have Mitch McConnell tied up here in Kentucky with a really competitive race, which is going to keep him out of the presidential race and out of other Senate races. It's about every penny that comes in externally, from, particularly from the, the groups that do the advertising, not the candidates themselves. Just about all of it attack ads, isn't that uh, kind of what comes in? Yeah, the way, because of our horrible campaign finance laws in this country and that money's, the, the group that is allowed to get the most money are the outside nameless groups. And so they end up doing most of the attacking and that frees the candidate up to talk positive about themselves. The governor's race rolling along. Uh, Christian Andy Bashir has been trying to uh, unify the Democratic Party uh, early after a, a tough primary. Meanwhile, the Republican Governors Association, or at least its Kentucky affiliate, has uh, dropped millions already on TV attack ads on Bashir. Uh, is it hard to get uh, a campaign rolling under a continuous assault like that? 
Well, I don't know. I think uh, uh, Bashir showed himself to be a disciplined campaigner. Um, I think what was really important uh, after the primary is that there was this unification effort. You saw um, in the weeks that followed uh, Election Day in May, or primary day in May, um, events in uh, Western Kentucky with uh, Adam Eland, Eastern Kentucky uh, with Rocky Atkins. The, the, the important thing about the primary is that it activated the entire state. So uh, Eastern Kentucky is activated uh, for uh, Democrats in a way that they were not in 2015 because you didn't have uh, a primary to, to sort of activate. You have folks of color who are really uh, interested in this race, uh, places like Louisville and, and Christian County, Northern Kentucky, and places like Lexington, uh, who are um, who were saying, "Oh, this, this there might be a, there might be uh, something at stake in this race for me," um, and that doesn't always happen. And so um, when you activate the state in that way. Um, uh, you, you get folks plugged in, and, but what you got to do in the follow-up is unify the party. I've not talked to a single Democrat who's excited to vote for Andy Bashir. Some of them are excited to vote against Matt Bevin, but they're not excited to vote against, uh, for Andy Bashir. And being excited to vote against somebody doesn't increase voter enthusiasm. How much is, uh, again, national policy going to creep into this election? We know that on Friday, uh, Governor Bevin is holding a news conference about uh, immigration policy that, uh, that is uh, coming up. Uh, again, is there an attempt to, to bring uh, national events and national policies into Kentucky's election when we have our own set of issues here? I think that absolutely. Uh, you know, Things are going to go well for Republicans if it's all about national politics, because in Kentucky, the state is is heavily red, especially when it comes to national uh, issues. Now, I think state issues, uh, I don't think Andy sure wants to have a conversation there either, because his father's a reason, part of the reason we're in this pension crisis. And you see today now, surplus numbers have come out. All that money is going back into the retired teachers' uh, health care fund and the retirement system. You have, uh, for the first time in in decade and a half, you have a governor who's actually investing in, in the retirement system. So, you know, I think you you've got two sets of issues. Neither of them play well for for Andy Bashir. Now, for Andy, fundraising is going to go better for him on the national issues because he can play play to national money. So, I think you're going to see some of that for Governor Bevin. He needs the support of people who might say, "Well, I don't particularly care for him, but I agree on these national issues." So, I'm going to vote on immigration or abortion or these other kind of broad, fifty thousand foot view issues. I think it's it's proof. Uh, that our politics are just are just that broken because um, we uh, we think that these national national issues um, uh, are going to uh, we're thinking about the impact of issues that are not uh, Kentucky centered and I think the candidates in Kentucky um, particularly on the Democratic side uh, they are talking about the issues that Kentucky families are thinking about every single day um, uh, I think it's uh, again I think if Bevin is able to nationalize the race. Uh, he'll he'll do well, um, but what Andy Bashir has to do is remind folks uh, in the same way that that uh, that Amy is. This thing is not about uh, politics. It's not about left and right. It's about right and wrong. But then, why is Andy Bashir's out-of-state campaign manager got him skipping the Kentucky Chamber uh, a forum and attacking the Kentucky Chamber? Which you can say what you want about the U.S. Chamber. The Kentucky Chamber is. Remember, David Williams once called him Chamber Light because they, they played it straight down the middle. I think it's a slap in the face to every bipartisan, nonpartisan, independent, 
uh, Kentuckian that Andy Bashir skip in that chamber for him because this chamber here is very nonpartisan. And you know, I think that that's Andy Bashir playing up the national politics just as much as, as anybody else. The campaign will make their decisions about what event um, that they'll attend or not. Uh, what's important is that they're getting into communities and they're talking to actual business owners, that they're talking to actual uh, families um, about the issues that matter Let's most. Let's take a break here. We're with Republican strategist Trey Watson and with Democrat Christian Motley on Kentucky Newsmakers. We're going to have them uh, give us a little peek behind the curtain. What goes on in these campaigns? We'll be back with that in just a moment. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT, and we're talking with a couple of uh, Kentucky political strategists this morning. Republican Trey Watson is here, and Democrat Christian Motley. It's an interesting discussion. We've talked specifically about some of the races. Let's just talk about uh, a couple of things that uh, go on behind the curtain a little bit in these races. Uh, Trey, you say on your uh, calling card that you do opposition research. Uh, what is that essentially? You, you, you go around digging up dirt? Uh, not necessarily. You know, 90% of what I end up with is stuff that's publicly available. Uh, I, have a, I have a long memory, long and good memory, and so, you know, I, I recall things that people have done and kind of know where to go uh, dig and what stones to turn over. But most of it is finding stuff that's already out there, whether it's news articles, interviews, uh, old committee hearings, court cases, whatever and uh, for lack of a better word, uh, weaponizing it, uh, taking it and figuring out what the political messaging that could use uh, what someone's done or said in the past and, and how to concisely put it into a, a one sentence phrase that can be used in a TV ad or a mail piece. Christian, both sides do this. Oh yeah, yeah, I think it's a bipartisan industry. <laughs> and, and are there lines that uh, that are ethical uh, to, to draw? When Absolutely, you're, when you're doing this kind of thing. I mean, what what uh, what sorts of things are off limits? Uh, I, I I don't go after anything personal. That's just that's that's my thing. You know, I, I believe that we we do too much to drive off good people from running for office in both parties. I think you know we we need better people running. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want my personal life dug up. But you know, it's, if it's your business life, if you've done, done something wrong in business, whether it's bankruptcy or cooking your books or, or something like that, or uh, you've you've said something in the past that that's against what you're portraying now, you know, that's all stuff the voters need need to know because it's part of your background. It's part of what's going to inform your decision making when elected. So I think any of that stuff is, is fair game. But if it's personal, if you've had an affair or you know whatever, I don't. I'm not as interested in any of that. Yeah, I've heard that phrase. Uh, you know, politics ain't being back. I think folks understand. <laughs> <laughs> that it can be kind of rough and tumble. I think what's important, especially uh, with the uh, uh, industry connected to, to research, is that the research that you gather is connected to the issues of the day. And so if somebody is saying something today that, you know, that, that they uh, had a different opinion on yesterday, well, the, the voters should probably know that. And I think that th those are probably a good set of bumpers. I think personal things, I mean, that just doesn't and, add to the conversation. And that you get it right. Uh, you know, as, as a researcher and as a communications person uh, now, you know, the first time that, that Bill, I lie to you or I lie to another reporter, my credibility is done. Same thing with a researcher. The first time you get the fact wrong, even if you think you had it right, but you missed a, you missed a big part, you're, you're done as a researcher because you just you probably just killed the campaign. Do you talk with your clients about semantics? I mean, there's a way, there's a way that you could say the same thing in a different way that might be more acceptable to voters than, uh, than it would be if it were... Uh, other terms were used. Good, good researchers will give you a packet that has a top line page that says, "Here's what I found, and here's the here's the message I would use in a campaign." Uh, so, you know, good researchers will come to you, not just say, "Here's information." They'll come to you with a suggestion as, as to as to how to use it. And campaigns will go back and they'll they'll 
try different things. They'll test messages. They um, we'll, we'll test the communications piece yeah, and, and see what works. You do a lot of polling. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you poll a lot and, and poll specific messages. And you may even put, we do a thing called rotating polls where uh, I may call Christian, I may call Bill, and Bill's going to get the same information phrased differently than what Christian's getting. And we'll go back and see, all right, you know, which which way, which way phrasing of this played better. Kind yeah. of a push poll, in other words. Yeah. It's not necessarily a push poll because it's, you know, it's, I got different, different. I have a different definition for push poll than a lot of people, but you know, it's, it's just it's it's a message testing phrasing poll. And you want to have numbers and narrative, I think. So there's the polling piece, but then the, again, there's conversations uh, and, with and people. And polling this day and age, honestly, is I think it's broken yeah. because of cell phones. People are, are hesitant to talk to pollsters. So I don't I don't think you can use polling at all anymore for testing the score. I think it's purely for does this does this message move a number or you know, we started off here. It doesn't matter what that number is. We started off at, at X. You know, where are we now? And, and, and what's moved? It doesn't matter what the actual number is. Why is it so hard to poll now? Do people, <laughs> do people not want to give a truthful answer? Do they just don't want to be bothered to give the time? Or? Oh, yes. It's a bit, all of the above. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's also expensive to do now because if you want to do cell phones, uh, there's a whole different process. You can't robo-call cell phones or robo-poll cell phones. That's illegal, so you have to have a live call center. You have to go out and, and get cell phone lists, which are more expensive to purchase than uh, you know used to when you were just dialing landlines. Uh, so, you know, for the Media, the media doesn't do a lot of polling anymore because it's simply it's been priced out of their uh, priced out of their purview, uh, and, and, and has been inaccurate. And has been inaccurate. <laughs> so same thing with campaigns. It's just people people don't want to give. You know, we saw a lot with President Trump in 2016. People who were going to vote for him and knew they were going to vote from early on would tell pollsters something different because they kind of felt, well, I, nobody really likes him, but I'm voting for him, but didn't want to, tell, didn't want to be honest with the pollster. Good, good campaigns don't solely rely on polls. Yeah. Polls are a single data point, but there are other data points as well, which is why I mentioned that that sort of numbers and narrative piece. Yeah. You've got to be talking to people. And I'm, a, I'm an advocate for grassroots organizing, and so some of the best data that you get is from the folks who are talking to people at the door. Polls are great to judge movement, not to judge the score. Mm -hmm. Is it good to motivate people in groups, or, or is it that... Uh, that really one-on-one -on -one contact that, that makes the difference. Again, I think you're talking about multiple data points and good, good robust campaigns, again, sort of have this sort of all of, above, all the, all of the above uh, strategy. Yeah, you know, I think one-on-one's best for donors. Yeah. I think you, you can, you know, but if you, if you have a big rally or something, people feel, people feel a part of something when they're there and there's, whether it's 20 people and you're about to go knock doors or it's 5,000 people at a rally, it's, people want to feel a part of something and be inspired. Interesting. Guys, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. We'll do it again. Glad to be Absolutely. here. And we hope you'll stay with us. Where does your trash go in Lexington? It's a question that Sam Dick got an answer to. It's coming up on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us today. Where does your trash go in Lexington, ultimately? WKYT's Sam Dick looked into that question, and what he found might surprise you. He has this WKYT investigation. It's a dirty job, but Lexington can't function without them. Four days a week, 229 city sanitation workers man 128 trucks, servicing 96,000 households and 4,000 businesses. Once they're full, each truck heads here, the Bluegrass Regional Transfer Station on Old Frankfurt Road, a place that represents the past and the present. 
63 years ago, this was on the outskirts of the city. The city county government had not yet merged. So city trash went to this refuge incinerator plant and county trash to a landfill next door. The incinerator opened in 1956. It shut down a few decades ago and the landfill is closed too. Another landfill opened on Haley Pike, but it's now full. Lexington leaders decided it was time to get out of the landfill business. The state and federal government both pay attention to how the landfills are run, and so there is a lot of um, work involved in the permitting process for landfills, and that's why Fayette County decided several years ago that we would like to partner with another group rather than try to continue to operate our own landfill. We've also got the whole land space problem as well too is that uh, the available land in the rural areas that we have very expensive and so um, it, it, when you're trying to decide a landfill you need several hundred acres in order to be able to do that. What they came up with is like a Grand Central Station for garbage trucks and not just for Lexington. 17 counties are permitted to bring household trash to the Bluegrass Regional Transfer Station. Each truck is checked in and weighed. The garbage trucks then back into one of these large bays to unload. Last year, 278,000 tons of waste came to this transfer station. More than half of it, 160,000 tons, were from Lexington. They back in and they dump their load and it gets all commingled together and then this piece of equipment, the larger one, will scoop it up and drop it into a larger truck that is over here on the left. Those are the ones that go to the landfill. By using the larger trucks, the smaller garbage trucks are able to get back on the streets quicker, picking up household trash. Lexington contracts with Waste Services of the Bluegrass to use these larger trucks to take all the garbage to a landfill in Scott County. The judge executive there says 86% of the trash is coming from Fayette County, creating more garbage than a landfill can handle. Many in Scott County are fed up with constant landfill smells and heavier truck traffic. P.U. I, I can smell, what is that? Oh, oh, oh that's just like, that's the landfill. This isn't what we want in our towns, this isn't what we want in our cities, this isn't what we want in our backyards. Why are we taking in trash from other counties, other cities? Leaders of both Scott and Fayette County have been talking to each other about the situation, and the Scott Fiscal Court is considering some options. Our, our citizens shouldn't have to put up with that type of continued odor issues the, um, and, and, and the other things that come along with it. It's in their county mm -hmm. and they need to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And of course the impact for us will be if, if they decide, for example, to close it or to limit out of county trash, then we have to figure out where our trash will go. Very interesting issue going forward. That report from Sam Dick of WKYT. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Follow me at KY Newsmakers on Twitter. We'll update you on the latest political happenings. And join us bright and early this week for WKYT This Morning. We start at 4.30, so we're up when you're up. We hope you make it a good week ahead.